Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello and welcome to the Voice of Reason podcast. I'm your host, Benjamin Boyce, and today's guest is Daisy Shadra, who is a student of philosophy and theology. She also transitioned from female to male and then went through a process of deciding that being a trans man was not for her, and so she is now detransitioning in steps. And in this conversation, we talk about theology and philosophy and transition and gender and authenticity, and I very much appreciate the sincerity with which she approaches the questions that I pose her. Very delightful conversationalist. She has a YouTube channel of her own where she discusses philosophy, theology, probably some gender stuff as well. Definitely check that out. The link for that is in the description. And without further ado, here is Daisy Shadra. Hello. Oh, okay. There we go. How's it going? It's going well. How are you? I'm good. Uh, have you been successful at anything recently that you want to like share? Um, in what context? Anything at all. Just some sort of success. I just want to get some positive some energy sort of in success. here. Of course. Um, I'm almost done with my semester at school, and it's going well. I had my... I had one of my last finals today, and it, it went really well, I think. And uh, I also, like, just moved in with my boyfriend, and Ooh. that's also going really well. <laughs> oh, that's nice. What, what are you uh, yeah. specializing in school? Are you just doing general stuff? I study, communication and, uh, I study communication and minor in philosophy. Oh, wow, okay. Uh, philosophy, what's your, what's your wheelhouse in, in that domain? It used to be, at first I was really interested in existentialism and philosophy of mind, um, but now I'm really primarily interested in the intersection of religion and philosophy. Um, like, I'm in a philosophy of religion class right now, and uh, I like it a lot less than I thought I would because it's more about, like, trying to answer questions that are very, very speculative, like, you know, life after death, do we have a soul? Um, my final paper is on, like, um, uh, like divine foreknowledge and, like, how can free will be compatible with divine foreknowledge? And it's like, you have, my, my professor is, a, like, a very rationalistic type, and you have mm -hmm. to answer it just using rules of just pure logic. And it's oh. really, really tough to do that, especially with something as speculative as, as those topics but yeah. it's it's challenging in a meaningful way i just i'm not crazy about writing about it <laughs> it's not my okay. favorite thing to write about yeah what would you be preferring to explore in the intersection of theology and philosophy or religion and philosophy mm. i think i lean more towards like i guess mysticism and spirituality like i really like simone Vi, so I don't know if you've read any How Simone Vi. the last name? 
W E I L. Um, but she's she's a mystic, and she writes about um, she writes kind of she writes about metaphysics, but in a, a um, I guess less less philosophical way. I don't know. It's hard. It's hard to explain. Uh, but you could read some essays from Gravity and Grace to get sort of an idea of how she writes. Um, when was she writing? And, uh, she died in the 40s, so most of her stuff came out in like the like early 20th century, like 20s, 30s. she a cloistered individual? Was she up on some mountain alone with her women friends? I actually don't know her life story. I think, no, I think she had like I think she had a fairly. I don't think she lived in like a, like a monastic life. Hmm. Um, I think she, yeah, lived a pretty standard life. I could be very wrong about that, though. <laughs> I don't know her biography. Have you ever been uh, tempted to go uh, that direction into m- monasticism, or is there anything romantic about? I mean, very. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot that's very romantic about it. I would love to just hide away and in the woods by myself and read and write for the rest of my life. But, you know, <laughs> be practical. I don't know. And also, I don't really, I don't, I, I think it's one of those things where there's something that's kind of romantic about it that I think a part of me would like, but as like something that I dedicate my whole life to, I don't know. I, I like, I like being around people and I, and I like family is too important to me. I think mm-hmm. if something really catastrophic happened, then maybe I would actually consider it. <laughs> if 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 God or some sort of force of nature severed you from mankind, you'd be fine, fine with that. Yeah, <laughs> I think so. When did this religion thing start for you? Because was that, I, I, I think specifically on your channel, like like in your expression and and what you want to be talking about. When did that kind of start going? for you well um i started wanting to just interview people i've wanted to do that for a while um i kind of want to do what you do honestly it's just like you know talk like make my videos less a little less generative because uh, i stopped for a long time because i was like i don't really know there's nothing that I really feel like I want to say. There's not that much that I feel compelled to put into the world right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really like to talk to people, and I'm really interested in in um, uh, Christianity and the Christian life and uh, how people apply that in modern times and how people interpret Scripture differently. But this was back when I was not necessarily a practicing Christian. Um, and, uh, now I, I, I started, I decided to become a practicing Christian over quarantine, uh, around May is when I did that. And before then I kind of kept a certain distance from it. Um, Hmm. because I had a really hard time reconciling, you know, being trans in other ways that I was living my life around it. It was like, okay, this, I really want to take this seriously if I do do this. And I'm not saying that a trans person could not also be a serious Christian. Um, I'm just saying that for me, it was very difficult to reconcile because I knew that me living at continuing living as trans was going against my convictions. Um, cause I had already been having a lot of like feelings of doubt 
And so it was like every day that I continued to live as a trans man, I was lying to myself and going against my convictions at that point. Mm. Um, but yeah, I, I, I found it a lot easier to talk about God when I, when I sort of ex like embraced it more. Uh, I found it kind of awkward talking about God as somebody who was like, didn't like the lives still really outside of it. Um, or even still kind of had a, a relationship of tension with it. So once I kind of let go and accepted it and accepted that that's what I need to be doing and talking about, um, then it became a lot easier for me to talk to other people about it. And, uh, yeah, the whole thing about like, like my audience, I knew my audience would be a little bit confused, but that didn't really bother me that much. It's like, if I lose a part of my audience, I could always gain a new audience, hmm. people who are interested in this kind of niche thing. So, what When you talk about God, what is there to talk about? Where do you um, even begin? <laughs> everything. I mean, it's... it's 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 this daily it's something that I think about on a on a daily basis and I feel like my um ideas of what God is are sort of like changing and developing on a daily basis and it's one of those things that kind of directly affects the way I not just the way I act, but just the way that I think about everything else around me, the way I think about my relationships, the way I think about, you know, how I take care of myself, what I put in my body, um, hmm. what I say, like I become much more um, cognizant of of what I say and making sure that like it's not only true, but it's also like not something that's going to, uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm just, I'm just a lot more cognizant of, 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 everything that I do. It's given me this new sort of awareness. Um, but I also think it's profoundly interesting that um, there, that people who worship the same God as I do live, live very different lives. Um, and as someone who's like very new into this and is like kind of overwhelmed by how multifaceted hmm. faith is, it's like it's become my favorite thing to talk about. In your awareness of whatever this God thing is, and I'll leave that dangling for the time being, does that awareness become make, make you anxious then? Are you, you like really self-critical, uh, more accepting or? Um, well, I've always been, I've always been self-critical as a person, but I think it's, it, I wouldn't say it makes me anxious. When I'm self-critical without any sort of like aim, without any specific aim, that's what causes me anxiety. Because I'm I'm just flailing. I don't really know what I'm. I don't really know what I'm doing. I'm not sure of myself. And this kind of, you know, people always say that, that like religion is a source of comfort for people. But I don't. I never. That always bothered me. Um, I wouldn't call it comfort, but I also wouldn't call it discomfort. It's just kind of like the stakes are higher, but also hmm. it's like, 
if you it's it's really hard for my self criticism to to um, veer into self hatred now. Okay. Um, because I recognize myself as something that was that was created, um, and that like ha- and that has a purpose. Okay. Um, and I've em- and since I've embraced that notion, it's hard for me to be. St- self-critical in a way that is not also um, productive and meaningful. Is there, in becoming more aware of yourself, are you, is there like a blanket uh, awareness? Are you projecting that something is paying attention to you and so you're paying attention to that attention that's coming from, let's say, God? There's like this background radiation of awareness that you are accepting into your awareness or I mean, what, why are you being aware? What is it about God or religion that's causing you to be more aware of yourself, your actions, your words? I mean, it's hard to not think about God as sort of this. I try to not overly personify God. I think that people, overly personify God as um, someone with eyes and a mind paying attention to us all the the time and is constantly judging us um, Mm. and our every move. And that is the very, I mean, that, I mean, I understand fully why, why people, I mean, even in the Bible, that's kind of how God is talked about God, the father, which I still think that that's an apt word to describe what God is. I, I like, the, the use of the word father um, but it, at the same time it's the reason why so many people find religion to be oppressive um, why uh, why has it raised my awareness um, well that it's funny you say that I mean my theology has been changing recently I, I at first kind of took a very like sort of dogmatic stance and especially in the way that I interpret scripture when I like when I first I was like okay I have to you know basically just assume that every single word in this book every sentence in this book can be applied in modern times exactly as it was when it was written and it's like no I don't think that that is accurate I, I think that God brought us past that god has developed us as a species um and uh like i think what what paul writes about like women in the church um and how like you know he wrote like women can't teach in the church they should be quiet i think that the verses on homosexuality uh it's like i fundamentally disagree with those verses but i'm not going to ignore them you know they're there so Mm -hmm. I think it's it's really important to uh, take in the historical context of why those verses were written, and also recognizing that they are divinely inspired, which I tend to want to believe that they are. Hmm. So I don't know. I guess I'm becoming a little bit more liberal in my theology, and I think that that's a good thing because it has not weakened my faith at all, and it has not we it has not compromised. Um, the way I view um, the omnipotence and 
and perfection of God and of Scripture. Um, so yeah, Was I kind that... of danced around your question, but. No, this is this is all a dance, and thank you for dancing with me about this. In your in that passage through dogmatism, was there something about that form of belief that was necessary for your transition into faith? What was there something else that you were believing just as dogmatically, and then you took that dogmatism and you applied it to, let's say, this Bible thing, or was there a same sort of attention yeah. on on belief that you transferred over? I mean, I, I, I wanted to have a solid, unshakable foundation. Hmm. I mean, when, when I first, you know, converted, I had this like explosion of, of, of passion and, 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 and unrestrained striving that I was like, whatever you want me to do, I will do it. Like I will obey, I will will obey you and the way that I know to obey is by what is written in this book which is the closest thing to the word of God that that we have um, so it's like I don't want to put my opinions over it I don't want to put my feelings over it and I still when I st read scripture I, I still am I, I, I submit myself to it and that I don't read it to try to criticize it I don't read it as though it's like just something that some people wrote in order to, like, you know, control the people in their community. Um, but I was kind of brainwashing myself, uh, trying to get myself to believe, you know, trying to change my worldview, like, fundamentally. And hmm. why? Were, were yeah, you it's like, really upset with your previous worldview, or upset, or, or some sort of negative feeling for that? Or no, I just, I just, I just, um, I just wanted to have a solid foundation, and I felt like if I did not sort of try to get myself to believe in the Bible the way that um, a fundamentalist Christian would, then I wouldn't have a solid foundation. Okay, but. Yeah. I, I, that's not, that's not, um, that's not accurate. I don't think so. What do you think about gender in the context of, uh, Christianity, uh, the embodiment of gender, I guess, do you have, I guess we have to back up and kind of define gender. Do you have a definition of gender that we can use? I think gender, um, is, a mixture of social constructs and biological hormonal realities. Um, I think gender in a lot of ways is this, like, gender is, I think, for the most part, immaterial in that, like, I think of gender as femininity, the essence of femininity and the essence of masculinity. Um, I don't think of it as gender I identity. I think that gender identity is kind of, kind of a, just a proclamation. I, I don't mean to. I mean, I don't want to say just as in this. I want to you know dismiss uh, the entire concept of gender identity because it was a, a significant concept for me and it is for many other people. But like, I don't think that gender is this sort of. Um, a sent, like essential, innate, un unchangeable uh, 
psychological part of someone that 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 could be compared to like someone's sexual orientation. Um, I think gender dysphoria is something that is, you know, something that someone could could struggle with is and and you know obviously that's. Um, I guess similarly to someone having a different sexual orientation, that's not something that someone controls. Uh, hmm. But gender identity itself, I think, is more of a proclamation and a lived-out uh, reality, I guess. But yeah, gender is... Hmm. is uh, immaterial and social and has to do with the essence of femininity and masculinity. You so. said it, 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 it's almost like it, it's something that becomes real by acting it out or, or performing it. So there's uh, some intentionality yeah. and some not intentionality, perhaps depending on the person. Yeah, I think so. I mean, that's always, that's how I always defined gender well maybe not always i think when i first started identifying as trans again i wanted to have a very solid foundation of what i was doing and oh. why i was doing it yeah um and so i was like you know very much like i have a male soul and i have a female body they're contradicting each other and so mm. i you know i can't change my soul so i have to change my body which funny enough i was not i was not a religious person at the time that i transitioned but that's a very religious statement to say inherently was was um, that language but, from your background or do you just adopted it from your culture i mean did you grow up with those religious principles or did you find them laying around i i i think i've always been a um like somewhat of a religious person like even though i didn't have like a like a a label like christianity i was kind of just like generally thought in a religious way i was um hmm. but yeah and also i just kind of adopted it from the culture i mean i i transitioned in 2015 which is when sort of the trans explosion happened and um, I became familiar with the uh, terminology of like being a man born in a woman's body and a woman born in a man's body. And I had heard that before, but I kind of thought about it as like, you know, pre-2013, I kind of, you know, it was kind of taboo. People didn't really talk about it. Hmm. Um, and I also spent a lot of time on the internet and like watched trans YouTubers um, go through their transitions and heard them, you know, listen to them talk about their feelings and their experiences. And um, it wasn't something that I Im immediately clinged to at first, like in like 2013, 2014. I was like, okay, um, I don't think I'm a man because I don't have physical dysphoria. I don't have the type of dysphoria that these people are talking about. Um, but I knew that I wanted to embody a masculine aesthetic mm. and I, I yeah i didn't feel comfortable in my skin as a girl which is hard to explain if you don't have physical dysphoria i just didn't want to be seen as a girl um pardon me for I, asking I, I, this but was there a component of eroticism or sexuality in that 
And I, I ask this specifically well, because it that... seems to be the case that males and females, uh, there's different motivations in there. So I, I just want to see if there's, or what component I of the I think there might have been, there might have been some kind of um, confusion with desi- with what I desired and what I wanted to be. Because I've always been attracted to men. Um, I've, I've always, you know, I've had a pretty like stable sexual orientation throughout my whole life. There was a second where I thought I might be bi, went on a date with a girl and was like, no, I'm not bi. And like, that was the end of that. Um, but I think somehow for whatever reason, there was some sort of confusion of like, okay, I, I'm attracted to this kind of person and I also kind of want to be that person. Like, that's that's what makes the most sense. It's not like it's not like um, what is it called? What's that? Auto auto, auto uh, gynophilia. Gynophilia. Auto gynophilia. Yeah. Um, first of all, I've I've only ever heard that term used to talk about um, uh, fe- uh male to female individuals. Uh, but I. It, it it wasn't it wasn't exactly an erotic thing at all for me. Um, I just really felt like I could only be confident if I embodied a um, masculine aesthetic. And, and um, is that in the context of? To what degree is that in the context of a patriarchal conception of the world or that people would only take like a negative conception that people would only take you seriously as a male? Or was there something else going on where you felt that you could be a male better than you could be a girl? Well, yeah, I use that language like I'm really bad at being a girl, which is really silly to think about now. But I was young Um, and yeah, no, I think, I think that there was, for lack of a better term, some kind of internalized misogyny, because I really don't think that I, I, I like, I remember being in eighth grade, and um, I've always been really insecure about my intelligence and how intelligent I'm coming off to other people. And um, like, you're too I smart really or not smart enough? That, like, I'm not smart enough. Okay. Um, and I was really it was like, I think I, I would have rather been perceived, if I was going to be perceived as dumb, I did not want to be perceived as a dumb girl. I wanted, <laughs> like, being perceived as a dumb guy is, like, kind of less frowned upon, I feel like, you know? Like, <laughs> I don't know. So I think that, I think there was definitely an element of, like, I'll be taken more seriously if I, if I transition, um, even though, the, even even if I didn't consciously think that or admit that to myself. There was a lot that I didn't consciously admit to myself, like not having physical dysphoria. Yeah. Okay. And, and the, with using the concept of a soul as your anchor or as your guide, um, kind of might negate this question, but in the pursuit of becoming a male, did you craft, to what degree did you craft a persona that you wanted to be? Um, so I, I used to, um, I wrote a lot. I, I wrote like, like character driven short stories when I was growing up. And 
I could only come up with male characters. I could only write male characters. I would try to write female characters, and it just it just wouldn't work. I would stop writing about them. I would neglect huh. them. And so I think that definitely uh, sort of aided my idea of like what's the ideal what's the ideal male persona that I could embody. Mm. And I really want, want it to be like this, you know, quiet, uh, intellectual, kind of nerdy, gay, gay trans boy. Hmm. That's what I wanted to be. I thought I, I, and I thought that I would be more physically attractive too. There was a lot of vanity involved. And like, I think I actually, there is a lot of truth to that because after transitioning to male and then transitioning back to female, it becomes so clear how female beauty standards are, are, are very much a thing. There is very much a discrepancy. I mean, I think most people know that now. I mean, it's, a, it's one of those things, like, it's, it's not very controversial to say that female beauty standards are different and higher than male beauty standards. But even though, like, objectively, I look better as a woman, I feel less attractive. <laughs> like, it's, it's, yeah, it's odd. I mean, probably having a deep voice and a flat chest has to do with that as well. But I just felt like it was easier for me to adopt the sort of, like, carefree, um, sort of effortless swagger with being a guy. Whereas with, with being a girl, you know, I'm kind of back to feeling like, oh, I'm a little awkward. I'm not embodying femininity the way that other girls do, and therefore I'm less attractive. And I, um, you know, I think I'll grow out of that. <laughs> um, I, I think I already am growing out of it. Like, I can acknowledge it and also have it not, you know, be this huge crippling point of insecurity. Does that... So. Could you, um, I guess maybe poetically or however you want to, uh, explain the feeling of stepping back into being a woman and, and those expectations? Like, is that, is that constrictive? Is it, uh, are you just set, are you like always disappointed with yourself? Are you, are you projecting that? Do you know if you're projecting that or do you feel it coming from society, from the people around you? Because I know that there is a contingent of young women who pursue transness because they're running away from uh, the what what's put on them as females. I know that there's there is uh, that that motivations in there. So I'm just wondering on the other side of that, how it feels. Yeah, I was certainly I was certainly running away from what was being what I felt was being put on me. Um, which is why I would often say, like, I can't imagine myself being a woman. I can't imagine myself being what I imagined that would mean. You know, I would look around and 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 and, and be able to recognize that there were um, there was a multitude of different ways to be a woman. You don't don't have to be hmm. like this bombshell, like you know. <laughs> Thing that is on magazines like you don't have to be that you can be a fulfilled person and not be that mm. and I don't mm. you don't want to be that so it's like uh, um, and and in terms of like how I feel stepping back into womanhood as you put it I'm more so stepping into womanhood for the first time because now you're I, 
I, I, you're pretty yeah, young. Now I'm an adult. We haven't talked about you, but you are. I'm 22. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I I transitioned at 17, so I wasn't quite a woman yet. Um, I was, you know, still in high school, so it's like, you know, I didn't feel like a woman. I I didn't feel like a like an adult at all. So hmm. um, I transitioned out of girlhood and lived as a man for a few years, but I still didn't feel like a man because I didn't like, I didn't look like a grown man. Um, and I also, you know, wasn't one. There was that, you know, feeling of incongruence, like, yeah, people see you as a man and for all intents and purposes, socially, you're a man. But at the end of the day, it's like, you're not. So it's it's felt a lot more like there's a sense of wholeness and a huge sense of relief to like just live out what my biological sex is and like not not care about, you know, if if I come off as very androgynous to other people. That's one thing that I thought would be really difficult is to like not be able to be immediately categorized by people but i found out as i'm going out into the world as a woman more often it actually like it actually doesn't bother me at all um i'm still in the very early stages i'm not going to be living full time as a female until january so we'll see how things change then <laughs> you you said something about uh incongruence that you, you mentioned an incongruence in two different places and yeah. and I, I i asked this because i think we can move into wholeness or the topic of wholeness beyond just gender, just using the topic of gender or your, your journey as, as a way to, to approach that. But you said that there was a uh, incongruence between your, your male soul, so-called and your female body uh, before you transitioned. Mm-hmm. And then when you transition, there's this incongruence between your female body and this male persona. So it, it's like, yes, kind of put the, the incongruence was just foisted maybe from inside to outside in a way. Yeah, no, that, that it makes sense. The the incongruence was more tangible, I think, is the way to put it, because I didn't know what I was really talking about when I said I think I have a male soul. And I don't even know if that's what I literally meant. I think that might have just been the language that I would use so that it would make sense to other people. Um, uh, but I, when I transitioned and I was, you know, progressing in the transition and especially after top surgery when there was no there was no more physical changes to be made it's kind of like okay this is my body now um i don't look male uh i my body looks almost exactly the same i just have a flat chest and um a slightly more masculine face uh it's a female like it's still a female body I don't like it's so there was that and that only really bothered me when I was not in public because if I'm in public I can I mean I became very self-conscious of my body I like developed like severe body image issues that I did not have pre-transition I was pretty indifferent about the way my body looked like I was like yeah it's fine (laughs) but um I would like wear 
long pants and long sleeves throughout the summer as much as I could because I was insecure about how skinny my arms were. It's also really difficult for me to gain mass, which I tried. Um, and like, hmm. I thought that when I got top surgery, I would be able to, to like, you know, be able to like go to the beach and the pool and stuff with my shirt off and like feel good about myself. But it's like, no, I feel like I look jarringly skinny for a guy. Hmm. Um, and like, I feel like I look very, very abnormal and I did, people would stare at me. Um, if I hmm. was somewhere with my shirt off, like a public pool or a beach or something. And I was like, Oh, this is not good. This, like, this is not what's supposed to be happening. I am not supposed to be now having body image issues post transition. Um, it wasn't even connected with gender. It wasn't necessarily like, Oh, I don't look male enough. Um, it was that I, I, I feel like I messed myself up. Like it was very explicitly like, I really feel like I messed myself up. Um, so I realized that and I was like, okay, I have some things to think about for maybe a few years. <laughs> Cause I was like, I really don't want to, I don't want to go back. I don't want to detransition. That's a, that's a pain. Like what kind, that's so much, that is such a weight to carry, but it's like. How so? Yeah. Weight, how so? I mean, it, well, while I, you're thinking it from that position. Because it's like, I, I felt trapped and it's like, I can't, I knew what was reversible and what wasn't. And I knew that I was going to have to live with the de the depth of my voice and, and the flatness and and male construction of my chest for the rest of my life. And it's like, I didn't, I just didn't know how I was going to handle that. Um, I didn't know how I was going to handle, uh, just making all of the practical changes as well. And it's like, I thought it would be, I thought it would be really embarrassing. And it's not really embarrassing. It's just, you know, Embarrassing is not the right word. It's, or maybe it is. I just, I don't love talking to people and just like announcing to everyone in my life. Uh, like, I like talking about my identity with, with you know, in one-on-one -on -one conversations, but it just seems a little bit invasive sometimes to tell people who possibly didn't even know I was trans in the first place yeah. that like... Hmm. I'm, I'm detransitioning. Uh, it's, it's a really, it, it, it throws people off. It throws people off, especially when they don't know in the first place. <laughs> so, you know, I'm really grateful for social media in that way. It's been a really helpful tool in like coming out to people. Yeah. Um, but what about the, um, so-called, and I don't say that derogatorily, but I say that because it's not really a community, but the LGBT com community. Like, there's this image of the community. To what extent were you attached to that, and to what extent was that facilitated your transition? And to what I, because I, I know in speaking with some detransitioners that they had to actually work themselves out of that community um, as a part of their detransition. But I know you're kind of on a you kind of exist in this own liminal space where you're having conversations with a lot of different uh, people. The LGBTQ community is, I think, 
about authenticity and being true to yourself. And I really value, value those things too. Um, and so I think that attracted me to, to it. I mean, it wasn't like, oh, I want to be a part of the LGBTQ communities. Like it was, it was kind of just something that I ended up being a part of. I mean, it's, I, it's more of the, more of the ideas surrounding like, um, the trans discourse, which is very much the same authenticity, being true to yourself. Um, and, and I was like, that's a, this is a path that I could take. And a lot of other people who have taken that, this path, you know, there's this authenticity and there's also this sort of self-transformation experience that I think I was craving because I desperately did not want to be the person that I was. I wanted to be somebody else. So hmm. it's, it's interesting when you put it that way because it's like you want to be somebody else, but you also want to be true to yourself. It gets, it's confusing. Well, so. there's a there's a deep um, this is really ancient and I, it comes back it leads us back to religion because you can't really own yourself until you submit yourself to some sort of or or you know God or reality submits you to a transformation to you can't really you you are reborn to use Christian language your your real life begins once you go through that process of dying to your old self and then reemerging and 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 as a conscious being rather than an unconscious being like going through rebirth and like feeling that process of of transformation that that is in a way more authentic because you're an adult or you're cognizant of the process going on if you add to that the intentionality behind um physical transition where you're taking pills and you're sculpting your body intentionally that's that's even more explicit sort of owning who you are in a way in a very concrete way i can see yeah. that there's, there's very yes. that those those dynamics are very ancient very ancient yes um i think i think the key with what i with my transition is that i was um, I wanted to take it in, into my own hands, but the only way that I could figure out how to do that um, would be to literally change my hormones um, instead of sort of allowing myself to submit. And, and I realize that not every person that has trans, like has gender dysphoria can do this. I'm not, I like, I, I, I realize that there are people with crippling physical gender dysphoria and that there are people who should transition. Um, but like, I was not one of those people and I did not really entertain the possibility that I, you know, was not one of those people. I mean, I, I did, it's not, it's not a decision that I made flippantly, but it was like, I did not really think about the fact that I did not have crippling gender dysphoria and that my puberty that I went through as an adolescent was not traumatic for me. Um, I did not find distress in 
you know, developing a female body. Um, but I think it was misguided. I don't know. It's, it's, it's really interesting to think about, like, cause they're both transformative experiences. I mean, by definition, I just, I just think that my focus was on the wrong thing. My focus was too focused on aesthetics and, and too focused on, um, the physical worldly, worldly motivations, I guess. Hmm. Um, how you came on to my radar and it, uh, I, I found you again uh, a few months ago, but, uh, back in, I think it was 2015 or 2016, you interviewed, uh, pre astronomically famous Jordan Peterson. Right? Oh, that was like 2017. Yeah. In 2017. So you'd always been kind of yeah. uh, on on a journey of some sort of uh, philosophical, uh, yeah, inquiry. I no, guess. Jordan Peterson. Jordan Peterson definitely accelerated my my uh, philosophical inquiries. Uh, he definitely he inspired me to start reading seriously, and uh, you know. Make I, I mean I did I I did really resonate with the like you know, clean your room you know organize your house before you go out and try to change the world man like I'm like yeah you know you, I'm gonna I'm gonna take back my life I'm gonna make my life better I'm gonna take responsibility and I mean that's a that's a that's a powerful resonant message, um, that a lot of people need to hear. Um, I'm, yeah, I'm not super into Jordan Peterson anymore. I mean, he kind of went off the radar. He recently came back, so yeah, I'm he's, paying he's getting some canceled by him. the. Um, I, I I bring him up partially uh, because uh, he's got a new book coming out in March, and the mm-hmm. uh, Penguin Random House Canada did a special town hall <laughs> about about uh, them publishing that and and like there's like, how many times can one man get canceled <laughs> they're trying to cancel him again they're like crying into these like zoom meetings about how he's gonna erase the existence of their non-binary friends and stuff it's like like these you can't the, erase no one is powerful enough to erase erase someone's existence why would you give him that much power <laughs> so weird that they they give him so much power i don't understand why if you look at his message really it's do. just i guess it's kind of conservative in a way but it's really weird and yunged out like it's trippy as fuck this guy is like mushroom cloud heaven Very. you know and and then it, when you get back into like the nitty-gritty it's like clean your room um make sure that you're not yeah, lying I mean, to I yourself the, i mean i guess the core of it you know has a conservative message but he hasn't like that like trans controversy that he got into was like four years ago. It's like I don't know. And yeah, he misread the bill, which is problematic. Um, but I really don't think that he said anything. Whatever. I I've I've defended Jordan Peterson enough on my platform. Yeah. Well, I, okay. So <laughs> I th- I just I think it's it's a good talking point because I think he for whatever reason 
instigated a whole lot in a whole lot of people's minds. He triggered people in a way to start reading, to to start thinking, to, you know, stand up for yourself, et cetera, et cetera. And I just want to plot, like, since that interview in 2017, like, what, what, what was the next step of you kind of reading? Like, and how did you get on the track where where religion is something you want to actually not just practice, but think about. It took a while after my um, Jordan Peterson obsession sort of petered out. Like um, I saw him do like a live, um, uh, not conference, but I I saw him speak live in Chicago in May of 2018. Um, And then after that, I kind of, didn't pay attention to him as much. And around that time, maybe actually a few months after that, was when I started to actually think about Christianity seriously and think about God seriously. What, why it's Christianity? Like, do I, it's, I mean, it just, I mean, that's the culture that I was raised in. I mean, I, I, I um, it's, it's, it's been, I mean, it, it resonates with me the most. I think that there's this sense of completion and wholeness to the whole narrative of Christ. Um, and so I, and I've always, not always, but I was really fascinated with just the, the person of Christ and, and just what does it mean to be a Christian? Is this something that I, you know, that I could be possibly? Um, and I was still trans at this time, so... Um, again, I kept a sort of distance from it. Um, and uh, is that could that be construed as um, a perception of this is a this is a murky term, but some sort of transphobia or some sort of uh, in the church? Like, did you get a feeling that you didn't belong there because of that, or you weren't accepted because I of always that? did. I yeah. always did. Yeah. Whenever I would go into a church, whenever I would walk into a church, which I walked into many churches during that time, I was going to like a different church every week, a different denomination every week, just to see what it was like. Um, And every time I went there, I felt like a fraud. I felt like I could not, I could not tell them really who I was um, because they would tell me, I mean, some, some church, I went to several affirming churches where I could, you know, be honest about me being a trans person. Um, But I also went to churches like Baptist churches, Pentecostal churches, or even like non-explicitly affirming churches, any church that didn't have a rainbow flag in front and kind of feel like this underlying tension where like, it's it's like, if they know, know who, if they know who I actually am, if they know that I'm trans, then they're going to try to subtly get me to change or try to tell me that it's like it 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 can't you know the two can't be compatible um and i did actually talk with this pastor um and we went out for coffee and you know he's like calling me bro he's like you know treating me like a dude and i and it even that even that was like oh yeah has no idea like he would be so shook if i told him that i was actually you know a biological female but i told him i told him that i was gay um and 
I was like, you know, I just want to be honest with you. That's, you know, I, I, I'm, I, uh, I don't know exactly what I said. It was an uncomfortable conversation. And he basically was like, uh, I don't know much about that other than I heard a testimony once of someone who used to be gay and then was saved and now he's not gay. And I just want to let you know that God can do anything. Hmm. So if you want, I mean, do you want, he was like, do you want to change? And I'm like, no. <laughs> he's like, all right. And then I left and I never went back to that church and I never talked to that guy again. Um, in, so, To what degree is religion necessary? To what degree is church necessary? To what degree is community necessary in order to establish communion with the transcendent? I don't think it's, I don't necessarily think that it's, that it's needed. Um, Simone Bai, who I talked about in the very beginning of this, she was not a part of a church. I don't think you have to be a part of a church. Um, I just personally want to because I value the community aspect of it. And, you know, I want to talk to people who um, think about God as much as I do. And, um, not necessarily think of God in the exact same way that I do, because I don't, don't think that that I can find another person that thinks about God exactly the way I do. Um, but I just like I just like the community aspect of it. And here in Illinois, it's like a lot of we're doing really bad in terms of COVID cases, um, and so we're moving into like earlier stages of the lockdown. And so it's really hard now to find a church that is actually doing in-person services and so it's just live stream stuff and it's like I'll, i watch the live streams because i i want to find a church and i want to you know carefully watch these sermons and try to get a feel for it but it's really hard if you can't actually be there and talk to people it's like it kind of defeats the purpose not the whole purpose but it, a lot a lot of the reason why i want to join a church is like to get involved and connect with people. And it's like, I can't really do that. Yeah. So, so we're all yeah. in a monastery now. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. What, what do you imagine? Um, this might be a weird way of putting it, but in what direction do you want to create Christianity? I, I really do think it's a kind of, whether you like it or not, it really is something that you have to create in your own image, or you have to make something of it. You have to do something with these stories, uh, these ideas, these thoughts. Like, where do you think that you want to go with that? What What do you think is the, like, what you're building now? What, what's the foundation or, or the story or the thing that you're making with it? Yeah. Going to. That's a huge question. I keep going back to the idea of wholeness because I think Christianity is something that's has always been in the back of my mind that I've either chosen to neglect. Yeah. Just something that I've chosen to neglect, um, in times where I was not, you know, a Christian. And so I think by living it out, I'm living the most authentic way that I can um, 
because it's something that it's something that I want to be to take precedence precedence over over everything. And I want it to I don't know. I felt weird just saying what I want it to do for me. Like it's the idea of glory of glorifying God has to do fundamentally with with yourself. Um, a lot of fundamentalist Christians kind of take this philosophy of like, you are nothing. You are just the creature and you're put here to obey and you need to put your feelings and what you want aside because you are, you know, you're um, innately depraved in sin and you can't trust what your flesh wants. You have to trust what God wants. And it's like, no, I mean, maybe. Maybe there is a maybe there is an innate part of everyone that actually wants to live with God, and maybe I have found that part of myself, and maybe I have to nurture that part of myself, while also you know like I, the things that I like that I did that I knew were not with God, that were not glorifying God. I always felt this sort of sense of guilt behind them. I just didn't like. I just didn't want to like, I don't know. I didn't want to go there. <laughs> I didn't want to be like, maybe since I feel bad about doing this, I should stop. Um, the most obvious things I can think about were, I mean, some, it wasn't always guilt. It was more of a feeling of like, just a, a feeling of, of, of negativity around the act, whether it was, you know, playing Grand being Theft trans, Auto. Okay. <laughs> oh, um, I feel bad about. Okay, I don't know. How I felt about being trans wasn't guilt. It wasn't like I'm sinning. I'm being bad. I'm 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 being a sinful, horrible person. It was like, it's this is, this is not right for you. This mm. is not right for you. This is not what you should be doing. This is not going to. Yeah. But there were other things like, you know, smoking weed and drinking it excessively where it was more of a more of a feeling of, of guilt and of guilt that was associated with it. So the point is is like I'm now able to sort sort of with a little more clarity discern what I should be doing and what I should not be doing. Um what I should be saying and what I should not be saying in any given moment. Um, Where does that knowledge come from? How do you know that you know that? And that's kind of a trick question. I don't know if you can answer. I don't expect you to answer it. But how do I know that I know what to do, what not to do? Which part of me? Um, is this the, are we going back to Peterson's Pinocchio? My conscience? Yeah. <laughs> well, I think I think the idea of conscience comes from God. I do like C.S. Lewis's explanation of morality, his his argument um, for the existence of God from a moral standpoint. Um, but I'm talking, I mean, sort of beyond morality and and evil at this point. But he basically argues that um, if you're in a situation, you you know, we are able to know innately what we should do in a situation 
and what we should not do. And then our will is the thing that is, you know, a part of our human nature, our flesh, and is, like, going to do what it wants to do. So, like, if you see somebody in need, um, but it would inconvenience you to help that person, you would still know, like, what the moral option is. It's to help the person. Um, And we can recognize when something isn't fair. If somebody cuts us off in traffic or cuts in line, we recognize that it's not fair. That's a moral intuition that we have. And that was that was not learned. We didn't learn that. Yes, in early childhood, we are taught how to maintain and enforce these moral guidelines. But we don't, we know that. And it's like, that suggests that we are subject to a higher authority. Because we didn't, we did not make these things up. These are deeper than cultural tropes and social norms. Um, so I like I like that argument, um, but I think I, I believe in universal morality. Um, I'm more so an objectivist in that sense, um, but. I also think that each there has to be room for you know I think fundamentalism does not take into account that people are different people are people are not meant to be exactly the same you know in a uniform way like women can't, not all women are meek and quiet and that's good like they, they that's yeah and not all men are like are you know have inclinations to be protective and strong and masculine and it's like that's that's good that's as it should be that's how they were that's how they were created um so Hmm. yeah i don't know if that answered your question (laughs) it's a big question (laughs) yeah um, when do you get to not be a college student anymore? May. I guess that, okay. May and that's your bachelor's or are you finishing up with your doctorate now? My bachelor's. Okay. So I, yeah, I, I'm definitely interested in grad school, but it's not something that's going to happen like next year. It might take a few years. And I also want to give a lot of thought into what it is I want to actually study. Um, mm. I, I didn't want to major in communication. I, I, I thought it would be something that I'd be good at and would be practical, but I wish I had double majored in philosophy and religious studies, but I would have mm-hmm. disappointed my family <laughs> if I did that. I mean, you, you seem like a fair communicator as it is. and so. Thank you. Yeah. What, what's up with your channel then? Um, I know being a, a student and running a channel isn't the easiest thing to yeah. do. Yeah. Yeah, um, I want to continue doing interviews. What I want to do now is kind of do like um, an interview and then a video where it's just me talking about something. And now that I'm open about my detransition stuff, there's a lot more things that I could talk about. Hmm. Um, One of the videos that I want to talk about is the the idea that um, I was never trans because I've heard that a lot um, from like other, mostly trans people saying like, okay, well, you were never really trans in the first place. And it's like, that doesn't make any sense. 
Um, hmm. But yeah, that's what I want my video to be after my next interview. And I honestly don't know when that'll be. I I really appreciate your uh, that you you've you've situated the agency uh, inside of you. Uh, I really appreciate that, and that's the best way to go about this. But I, I'm wondering, also, I have to ask you: uh, to what extent is the uh, the people who enabled uh, you uh, to bo- modify your body without a very severe um, diagnosis of gender dysphoria? What do you think their responsibility is? not just for you, but for many people like you. Um, do you think that, that the medical establishment should do what they did with you? Or is there a big thing to be talking about uh, with regards to... Yeah, there is a big thing to be, to be talking about. Yeah. Um, I don't feel like I have been intentionally harmed by the medical providers who provided me with t- testosterone and who um, gave me a double mastectomy. Um, I don't feel like it's, I don't feel victimized by them. I don't feel like they, it was my mistake at the end of the day. Um, But I really hope that people at least admit that there's some kind of epidemic going on. There's some kind of epidemic on the rise and it's very deeply concerning. Um, And yeah, it's, it's going to be hard to fight back on that kind of thing because you know, you could argue that like for some people transitioning is life-saving. So to make it more difficult for somebody to pursue that for themselves um, is not going to be, is is not going to be like something that will um, be. I don't want to say it won't be easy because it's like it makes it sound like I want people to have a harder time. But I think I should have had a harder time. I think there should have been more gatekeeping for me because it's like, I mean, I, it was all so easy. Like I did not have any, I didn't have to do any kind of psycho evaluation at all. Hmm. Um, yeah, I basically just had to say like, yeah. Oh, I basically just had to say like, yeah, I, I'm trans. I identify as a guy. I have dysphoria in some vague term. And they were just like, here's your testosterone. This is probably a huge other conversation, but do, do, you, do you imagine that there would have been resources or there can be resources crafted that would have hit you in the right way mm. uh, to, to make you think twice that, that are not necessarily invasive or, or gatekeepy, but just a resource out there, a voice, a story, a, even a psych, psych, psychological mechanism or something like that, a school of thought. I mean, I know that there are, um, um, what's the name of that woman? You, you interviewed her before. She's, um, she's, a, she's a therapist and she's taking like gender dysphoria therapy into like a different direction, not like, not a non-affirming direction necessarily, but like one that's not super eager to like put kids on hormones 
What's her name? Well, there's Sasha, who's my mainstay. I Sasha think Sasha. Yeah. yeah. With the great hair. I think that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, if there were more people like her, and if there were more resources that offered therapy the way she does, and people weren't as eager to call it conversion therapy, which is so not not, not just inaccurate, but offensive, I think, to call it that, um, mm-hmm. then... I think that that would be that would be very helpful. It could save a lot of people from making the same mistake that I did. And I don't even like to call it a mistake, but like, you know, because it's like I would probably still be wondering if that's what I should do if I had never done it. But maybe seeing a therapist like that would have provided me with a with a sense of clarity if I if I I had, you know, the the cognition at the time to to understand that because I had people in my life try to convince me that it wasn't the right thing and kind of you know um, tell me that like I can be a masculine woman and it just it just didn't re- resonate with me it's like yeah I know I can be a masculine woman I don't want to be a woman period I am not a woman period so I don't, I think you're a saint whatever whatever else you are you have, a, you have a very bright soul it's not just your tv off the screen oh thank you <laughs> thank you um so you're going to be working on your youtube channel anything else that people can follow or hook up with you you can follow me follow me on twitter if you'd like um, do you do the tiktok snapchat thing I don't I don't post anything on TikTok. Please don't try to add me on Snapchat. Um that is private. Um But yeah, I would say Twitter. Um I think it's yeah, just search Daisy Chadra and I'll, I'll, I'll link it down. Yeah. Do you have any uh any message like some final message about uh we we opened up with the success I guess is there like a like the most what what keeps you being confident in your day what, what what's uh something that keeps you positive thought or something um everything that is ever meant to happen will happen That's everything like my... yeah i my... i i, I that's given me a lot of counsel or comfort in this whole detransition thing. It's like, this is supposed to happen because it happened. Hmm. So. Poetry is everything inevitable. That's my motto. <laughs> yeah. Well, cool. Thank you for your evening. I'm going to end the recording there. Congratulations for reaching the end of the podcast. If you enjoyed this product, consider donating to this channel via paypal.me slash Benjamin Boyce or joining me on Patreon. Also follow me on Twitter at Benjamin A. Boyce. Have a good night.